Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, Jesus 911. Soul Patrol, two man card, Ruben and Jesse. And uh, we're here with some great uh, great topics for you today and a special guest later on. Good morning, Jesse. How are you doing? I'm reporting for duty, Ruben. I am 10-8. And by the way, today is the, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Uh, just uh, these, The fathers of the church called them the first Christian martyrs. And uh, so we would just want to say, Holy, Holy Innocents, pray for us. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're Catholics, we celebrate Christmas all the way until uh, the, the Feast of the, you know, the Magi or the, um, you know, the 6th of January. Yeah, my, my lights are still on. I got all my Christmas stuff up and yeah. a couple of neighbors came up to me and said, hey, Jess, how come your lights were on last night? I said, because we celebrate for eight days because this is such an amazing day yeah. that we have to extend it for an entire week because we can't contain it all in one day. So a Protestant neighbor, a Mormon neighbor asked me, and I said, yeah. I said, Catholics celebrate this for eight days. They go, really? Well, that's interesting. I said, yeah, kind of like the Jews. I said, the Jews uh, have wedding celebrations for seven days, so we just beat them by one day. <laughs> that's right. It's 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 a good thing to do. I mean, uh, we, we're the same way. Lights are on, and and uh, yeah, we're we're still... Receiving, receiving guests and and we're still saying ha- Merry Christmas to you because it's still the Christmas season. So nice. That's, yep, that's right. Amen. <laughs> hey, Ruben, I I discovered uh, doing some research something that I never knew up until about a week ago, and I said, okay, we got to use this uh, as, as as part of a show segment. I didn't know that Saint Bonaventure in a homily. He's going to say something that's shocking. We'll read it. Mm -hmm. St. Bonaventure said that when the Lord Jesus Christ was born, that all the known homosexuals of the world died. I didn't know that. Uh, Again, the the way it's explained by the fathers of the church is because Christ, who is pure holiness and purity, when he came into the world, it was kind of like the flood. It washed away all the impurity of the time. So we're going to look at the relevant sections of the Sermon of St. Bonaventure. By the way, he's a doctor of the church. Mm-hmm. This was put out by Tradition and Action. Uh, obviously, some people were very offended, so they took on Tradition and Action. And they said, well, you guys are making this stuff up. We can't find this anywhere on the Internet. So Tradition and Action actually posted the actual, uh, the book, the year, the volume, the page number, and the actual sermon from St. Bonaventure. Yeah, he's a uh, you know, Franciscan scholastic theologian and philosopher, right? like you said, doctor of the church. So he's not just, he's, you know, he's the giant in the church in the, uh, you know, 1200s that, uh, Born in Italy, so um, he's not just some you know parish priest that uh, was saying this. Um, so let's take a look at it. Let's see what. what let's go, Ruben, Let's go right from where it says when when he gets right to the the, the twelve things that happen on that day. Uh, we'll go. We'll jump right where where he says 
in all these meditations, you see that? He Go says, ahead, Jess. Yeah. In all these meditations, our souls should bless God on mm -hmm. this day. Okay, these are this is the sermon of Saint Bonaventure, doctor of the church. He says, and he's talking about the birth of Christ. On this day, he, Jesus, liberated his city, showing his majesty to a sinful nation, not only by sending his son to be born, but by bedecking and adorning the day, hour, and time of his nativity with miracles. The miracles shown to the sinful nation at the time of the nativity of Christ are these, according to various histories. Number one, then I'll, we'll just okay. go back and forth. First, a fulgent star appeared in the sky in parts of the east, which displayed the form of a most pure infant, and over it was a shining cross to signify that he who was born would spread his doctrine, life, and death throughout the whole world. And second, in the middle of the day from uh, Capitoline Hill in Rome, a golden circle that appeared near the sun was seen also by the emperor and the Sibyl, and in it was a most pure virgin giving birth to an infant, signifying that he who was born was the monarch of the world and came to demonstrate the splendor of the paternal glory and figure of his substance. Third, the temple of peace in Rome fell to the ground. Think about that when Jesus was born. When it was built, the devils were asked how long it would last, and they responded that it would stand until a virgin gave birth to a son as a sign that he who was born would destroy the works and practices of vanity. Wow, that's powerful. And then fourth, in Rome, a large gush of oil sprung up from the ground and flowed into the Tiber to show that a source of piety and mercy had been born. Fifth, on the night of the nativity, the Vinay and Gadi, from which perfume is made, sprouted, flourished, extended its branches and produced a scented liquid so that he who was born would make the spiritual world flourish, grow and give fruits, and its fragrance would attract the whole world. The sixth, uh, 30,000 criminals were killed by the emperor to show that he, Jesus, who was born, would, would subject the whole world by his faith and that the rebels would be lost in hell. Seventh, this is the big one here. This is the drumroll moment. This is some people are going to fall off their chair here. They're going to say, Oh no, I'm offended. Seventh, all the sodomites in the whole world died, both male and female, according to St. Jerome. So you got a second doctor of the church saying this. According to Jerome, commenting on the psalm, the light was born for the just which shows that he who was born came to reform nature and to promote chastity. So you got two doctors of the church who have said this in homilies that all the known homosexuals, both male and female, at the birth of Christ died at that moment. Uh, man, it makes sense, you know, what uh, you did to Sodom and Gomorrah. So, uh, yeah, you know, it does make sense. And, and, you know, Jesus wasn't born into the world at that point. So, wow, that's that's. That's the first time I'm hearing this too, Jess. In the eighth, brute animals spoke in Judea among them two oxen to make us understand that he who was born would transform the most bestial men into rational persons. Ninth, all the idols of Egypt were destroyed when the virgin gave birth. According to Jeremiah, that sign was given to the Egyptians to make them understand that he who was born was the true God and the only one worthy of adoration with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the tenth, when the infant was laying in the manger, the ox and donkey knelt before him as if they had reason. 
and adored him, which makes us understand that he who was born would call both the Jews and the Gentiles to his religion. Eleventh, the whole world was in peace as described to show that he was born would to show that he who was born would love and promote universal peace and that his elect would enjoy eternal peace. And the twelfth, in the east, three suns appeared in the sky, which progressively merged into a single celestial body to show that by the birth of Christ, the world would be informed of the triune God and that divinity, spirit, and flesh had been united in one person. About all these things, St. Bonaventure writes, our souls should bless God and venerate Him because He liberated us and His majesty was shown to us a sinful nation. And then he actually dates it. Again, the, this is pre-Vatican II when people uh, had more, more faith in, uh, in the actual Bible timeline. He's, he writes, The Lord Jesus Christ was born in the 5,199th year after the constitution of the world, after the constitution of the 750 gens of the city of Rome in the year of the 194th Olympics, in the 42nd year of Emperor Octava Octavianus Augustus, in the 39th year of the reign of Herod of Ascalon in Judea, on the 8th day of Calendus of January, having Cyrenius as governor of Syria. Why does St. Bonaventure go through all the specificity? To show that this is a historical event. This is not a myth. This is not like, uh, you know, Superman or, or, or Shazam. This is a historical reality that occurred. And that's why he's so detailed with historical uh, historical sources. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. He, he puts it. He came at a particular time in history, and and uh, so we could look back on it. And you're, you know, it's just not made up. So he's, you know, he, it's a Jesus is a historical figure, you know. But he's, you know, the God of faith. Uh, you know, when I was in uh, in school, Jesse, they tried to have, they had a uh, a Jesus seminar class where they tried to separate the Jesus of faith with the Jesus of history. And, you just can't do it, you know, and it, and um, we, I got into some arguments with my professor there, but it's the Jesus of heresy versus the Jesus of reality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the, what are we, we're not trying to uh, cause people to uh, turn on our uh, people with uh, same sex attractions. We're just saying we have to uh, bring them to the, the fullness of the faith and the truth and, uh, we really love them. We're just gonna, you know, love them back into the church and into full communion with the sacraments. And uh, yes, uh, Ruben, what this homily also shows me, and apparently Saint Saint Jerome wrote another, a, a similar homily as well. You know, a thousand years before Saint Bonaventure. What this shows me is that what the Supreme Court did several years ago is one of the most egregious Supreme Court decisions that offends God to no end. Oh yeah. Uh, and and again, it just goes to show you the Supreme Court is not the final court of last resort. He, maybe here on earth it is, but there's a higher court. And uh, certain things that the Supreme Court rules on, uh, God is going to overturn one day. Mm. Absolutely. All right. You've been listening to Jesus 911. We've got uh, another uh, great article coming up. You don't want to miss that. Uh, no, Mary was not an unwed mother. Okay, so we're going to clarify that for you. Be right back. Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back to Matt Carr. And uh, here in the Feast of the Holy Innocents, we're talking about Mary. And uh, was Mary an unwed mother? Uh, sometimes uh, our Protestant brothers get this uh, mixed up. And and even Catholics who don't know uh, any better, that maybe they'd be using a translation of the Bible that is not so good and uh, makes it pretty difficult to discern what, what is going on here. So let's jump right into it, my friend. Let's do it. Two of the most important Bible passages at this time of the year are Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, and Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Both of these passages trace the angel's message of the incarnation to the Virgin Mary and Joseph. Yet as familiar as these passages are to most of us, especially Catholics, many of us can scarcely understand what's going on in either passage. For example... Were Mary and Joseph married at the time of the, of, of the Annunciation? Why does Matthew refer to Joseph as Mary's husband? And yet common translations of Luke have Mary saying to the angel, I have no husband, in Matthew 1.19 and Luke 1.34. What does it mean that Joseph took his wife or that Joseph knew her not until she had born a son in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21, 24 to 25. So to answer these questions, as we continue to reflect on the Christ, Christmas mysteries through the, close, through the close of this joyful season, we need to learn to read these scripture passages with Jewish eyes. Yes. So Jewish weddings, they have two distinct stages, the Kedushin and the Nisuin. Um, after the first stage, there's a, a legal marriage. Then only death or divorce can break. Um, but these days, two stages typically occur in a single ceremony. But because bachelor pads, in quotes, bachelor pads weren't really a thing in, in antiquity, first century husbands had a short time, upwards of a year, after the wedding to prepare a home for his new wife by bringing his wife into the home and beginning married life together in Nisuin. The marriage process was completed. So when we hear Jesus saying in in Quote, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have, I would have told you that I go prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be, you may, may be also John 14, 22 and three. Uh, so we should have recognized the marital imagery here. You know, he, he's saying to the church that she's already his bride and that his, and this life is is the short space between the Kedushin and the Nisuin, the wedding ceremony and the marital homecoming. That's a deep, that's a deep uh, understanding, Ruben. That, now that, that passage makes sense to me. It's that whole marital imagery about the, the two phases of the Jewish marriage. Yeah, and a lot of the, you know, our Lord uses this imagery even in our liturgy. You know, it's, it's the, the marital union of, of a, a betrothed to the betrothed, you know, betrothed the husband and the wife, you know, and, the, yes. the, and uh, so it, it gets deep in Catholicism. So sure does. Uh, so that's where we encounter Mary and Joseph on their journey towards Christmas. When we hear that Mary's betrothed to Joseph, this is a poor translation. They're not betrothed in the sense of a modern engagement. They're legally married and could licitly have sexual relations. That's why Joseph considers a quiet divorce 
because he's he's unwilling to put her to shame. Matthew 1.19. There's no shame because everyone would assume that Mary's child was the son of Joseph, Luke 3.23. And it was perfectly acceptable to get pregnant by her husband at the t- in the time between the Kedusha and the Nisuin. And so the first thing we notice is that Mary and Joseph are legally married and were free to have sexual relations. The second is that, for some reason, they don't. We see this in the responses of both Mary and Joseph. Yes, the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition records Mary as asking Gabriel, quote, how can this be, since I have no husband, Luke one thirty four, but as we just saw, she does have a husband. Mm-hmm. What she actually says is, how will this be, since I know not a man? In other words, she's not saying she doesn't have a husband. Mm-hmm. She's saying that she doesn't have sex with the husband she has. That's a much stranger response, but it's consonant with Joseph's own response. Remember that he, he knew both, A, that everyone would assume the child of Mary was his, since they were married, and B, that the child couldn't possibly be his. The only reason he wouldn't assume he was the father of the child is if he weren't, public assumption to the contrary, having relations with his wife. By the way, I just want to add that in the, in the Jewish community, there was a tradition of celibacy and chastity amongst people. It was called the Josephite marriage. You find, for example, the Essenes, which are a Jewish sect back at the time of Christ, just like the Zealots, like the Pharisees, like the Sadducees. The Essenes, they were monks. And so the men and women took vows of perpetual celibacy. So there was that tradition. And there is a deeper tradition when you look at the some of the works like Venerable Mary of Agrade and, and Blessed uh, Ka- uh, Catherine and Emmerich. Both of them say that Mary and Joseph, in the temple as children, they made a perpetual vow of celibacy before God as children. So that's the tradition that comes from from approved mystics. Ruben? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had a, uh, a Protestant tell me one day, well, that's not, I was talking about her perpetual virginity. Oh, that's not normal for, for not to have sexual relations with your wife. I go, it's not normal to give birth to, G- to the God child, you know? <laughs> Come on, man. So, <laughs> So, early Christian texts claim that Mary had taken some... Hey, hey, how how did Brandon get into the studio? Go ahead. (laughs) So, Mary had taken some kind of vow of perpetual virginity in the temple, whether that's true or not, you know, we know this much. Mary and Joseph are free to be engaging in licit marital relations, but they aren't. They aren't at the time the angel Gabriel shows up, and they aren't after the Nisuin when they start living together. So, here's where things get really odd. Matthew tells us that Joseph took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son, and he called his name Jesus, Matthew 1, 24 and 25. So to our ears, took his wife may sound sexual. It's not. It's a reference to the Nisuin. Joseph was taking Mary into his home, and the marital process is complete, but knew her not is sexual. That's Genesis 4, 1. So we might ask, why are Joseph and Mary still not having sex? There's no evidence that the angel told either of them to remain celibate, and yet they are, even as they're living under the same roof. So protesters or Protestants, typically (laughs) the same thing, huh? typically gloss over all of this because they're fixated on one word, until. Uh, Doesn't that imply that the two had sex after the birth of Christ? 
And such a, such a fixation completely misses Matthew's point. As St. Jerome pointed out, Scripture is full of statements like, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you, Isaiah 46.4. And here's a good one. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, 1 Corinthians 15.25. But these don't mean that God ceases to be God when you're old or that Christ stops reigning after his final triumph. The inspired authors are simply using until language to demark an important period of time. Here's a simple way to just explain that to people. I tell Protestants, you're married? Yeah. What if your wife tells you, honey, may God bless you until you get home from work. So Mm. what does that mean? Does that mean that when you get home from work, now your wife wants God to curse you? He only wants, she only wants him to bless you while you're at work for eight hours. But once you get home, she wants God to curse you. Is that what she means? Yeah. The guy, the, no, of course that's not what she means, Jess. She still wants God to bless me while I'm at home. Precisely. So the word, the word until that conjunction doesn't change the action before and after. As again, you see in the Bible clearly, the one you just quoted, 1 Corinthians 15, 25, until doesn't change the action. It says he, Jesus, must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. Every Protestant will agree that Jesus is going to reign still after and forever when all his enemies are under his feet. The word until does not change anything. So Matthew's doing the same thing here. His point is that after the Nisuin, which is the second part of the marriage, Mary and Joseph continued not to have sexual relations. And why does that matter? Simple. Because the Messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says that a virgin will conceive and bear a child. And uh, Ruben, somebody has emailed me a, a question relative to this kind of somebody. There's a movie made out by Protestants called The Nativity. I watched it again. Mm. Over, and it's a well done movie, but it got one big error. Mary was having pain screaming during childbirth. Yeah. And so here's the way I respond to people that watch. Everything in the movie is good. It's a good, well-done movie except for that part that's theologically wrong. Uh, Our Lady experienced no pain in childbirth. Why? Because she was immaculately conceived. She was born without original sin and never committed actual sin. Pain in childbirth are the consequences for those women who were born with original sin, which is everybody else but Mary. Now, Protestants should know that there's a scriptural reason for this doctrine. And the fathers of the church in the first six centuries of the church understood that Mary was the new Eve. She was the necessary counterpart to Christ, the new Adam. And so just as the old Eve collaborated in the sin of Adam, so the new Eve with the new Adam reverses the original disobedience and undoes the curse brought upon the human race by the first sinners, Adam and Eve. That's that same curse also brought about the grim consequence of labor pains for all of Eve's daughters in Genesis 3:16. All women are subject to pain because of Eve's sin. But the new Eve broke the curse. She was not subject to its dictates. Even the Council of Trent says the following quote: From Eve, we are born children of wrath, from Mary. We have received Jesus Christ. To Eve it was said, In sorrow shall thou bring forth children. Mary was exempt from this law. For preserving her virginal integrity, inviolate, 
she brought forth Jesus without experiencing any sense of pain. Catechism of the Council of Trent, Article 3. Yeah, Justin, it, it, there's also in Second Samuel uh, 6, chapter, 20, six. chapter 6, verse 23, where the daughter uh, Michal of, of Saul had no children to the day of her death. You know, that that doesn't mean that she died and that she had children. That she was in the grave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, no, nobody has babies when they're buried six feet under. Yeah, that's what she got for criticizing David dancing before the Ark of the Covenant, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's another good, uh, 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 good argument. Yeah, Michal... It says, did not have any children until the day of her death. Yeah. Again, point well taken. Not one woman has ever bore children six feet under the grain with six, you know, with, with a thousand pounds of dirt on top of you. Right. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that something. Happened. So the status didn't change. The status didn't change. Right. I yeah. Also, Ezekiel 44, uh, 2. Then the Lord said to the Lord unto me, the gate shall be shut. It shall be not be open. No one shall enter it because the Lord, the God of Israel hath entered in by it. There, therefore, it should be shut. So Mary, uh, you know, she's much more holier than, uh, you know, than, than the, the gate of the temple. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to be coming up on this side of the break. Jesse, will you introduce our guests on the next side of the break? Absolutely. All right. You got it. Wanna stand by. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888. 888- Five two six two one five one. Jesus nine one one. Iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. We are back, Jesse. We uh, yeah. We are waiting for mm-hmm. Elliot Huss. We're going to talk about him. I, I he's just a fascinating young man. I want to talk to him. He's uh apparently he listens to VMPR. Uh, he was inspired by some of the shows. He's uh he's a young black man who's a uh, revert back to the Catholic faith. But he also does a lot of, uh, you know, he's a fitness guy. He does a lot of motivational speaking, but he integrates everything, Ruben, with this Catholic faith. And the fact is, I think there's only like 5% uh, of the country are, 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 are black Americans. And so, and not many of them are Catholic. So when I find a black Catholic like Elliot Hulse, you know, Paul Clay, Eddie Brock, you know, Deacon Shivers, David Gray, some of the other men that I network with, I get fired up because, again, they're, they're a small pool of the Catholic population. And, and when, when, uh, when a black American comes into the Catholic faith, boy, oh, boy, they get it. They, like, read their way in. And so, uh, yeah, Richard will let us know when he's on. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, he's a, a, a strong man. I've, I've seen many of his videos and strength coach. He's got his own uh, strength camp. He's a CEO, you know, self-made entrepreneur. He says uh, that uh, he overcame some learning disabilities and disadvantages to become one of the, the most prolific visionary leaders to a generation of men. He, so he runs a strength camp um, in uh, Florida, travels the world, holding uh, grounding camps that use tribal dancing, breathing, and active meditation to help men break free from self-limiting beliefs uh and a lot of these things he in his own uh, video how he he came back to the catholic faith he baptized catholic and uh he um he's 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 looked at, at a lot of myriad of other religions uh um you know eastern religions and and even some some religions that weren't so good for him you know um uh, pagan religions and, and and whatnot so he's come full circle he's even looked at some uh you know Protestant groups, uh, 
listening to his video, he, he, he credits reading the uh, early church fathers and started getting into the orthodox teaching. There it is. Yeah. The early that's church the, fathers. Ruben, that's, that's the key. Is uh, Like Pat Madrid says, my friend, he says, uh, I've never met a Catholic who's read their way out of the church. Mm. Yeah. In, in other words, everybody that you hear that comes in, like Elliot and others, or comes back home, uh, again, they become readers. They, they, they roll up their sleeves and they say, you know what? It's time to investigate who is this Jesus? What does he mean to me? How is he relevant? And did he start a church? Mm-hmm. And when you start asking those questions, Ruben, you're going to, you're going to, what's going to happen to you is what happened to Elliot, Jeff Cavins, and the list goes, Paul Clay, the list goes on. You're going to come circle back to the Catholic Church because there's several things you're going to discover. Number one is that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world, period. There is no, nobody even claims to be a Savior. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Zoroaster, Gandhi, n- nobody even claims that title. So Christ is the unique Savior of the world, and he proved it by his resurrection. And then the second thing is, like we were talking in the first two segments about marriage. Jesus is married. He married a church. It's called his bride. And, uh, you know, our Lord doesn't, uh, he, he's, not, uh, he's not a polygamist. Okay, He doesn't have many, many wives. And so it's these two things, I think, that bring people back home. Once they see, wow, this church has been around for a long time. And number two, there's nobody like Jesus. When you when you start uh, discovering who he is, you say there is nobody like him. Richard, is uh, any success with getting Elliot? Yes, yeah, so, good. Okay, so no just, problem. His uh, family's from Belize, so Belize is down there in South America, next, ah, to, okay. next to Honduras and Guatemala. So it's primarily uh, Catholic. It's a you know, uh, it has a, a large Protestant population, but um, you know, there's there's uh, a lot of Catholics down there, so. You know, they came to America, and um, he actually was uh, in New York at one point, and he came back down to Florida. His parents wanted to be there, so he, he brought his wife and four kids over there. And uh, it's interesting to to hear his, uh, you know, his, his spirituality, his his journey back to the faith. And uh, I saw that on YouTube. But you know, uh, he, he's he has a lot of the values that that I and that I. Uh, I have, and in, in fact, you know, he makes a comment in uh, um, one of his other talks that he says to decide on your core values first, and then build a business you could fit around it. So, you know, your values, you ha- are you because are your values are what you say or what you do, and and obviously they're what you what you do. So, um, you know, if you're living outside of your values, your life's going to be pretty uh, messed up. And so, you know, uh, he he even talks about how it is important to be living in alignment, you know, with the way you want to be living. And, um, he's also talked about, uh, about a non job and cause he's an entrepreneur. So he's, he's not into the, uh, the path of following like the 98% of us who, who've been taught to go to school, get good grades. And so you can get a good job with benefits and perhaps a pension and then, you know, work 30, 40 years maybe 50 and then uh, retire with, have a few years left at the end of your life. So he knew early on that it wasn't something that he wanted for himself. And uh, I believe he saw his uncle going, uh, walking around with a, with a, uh, like a gym bag or, um, you know, uh, n- not a briefcase and making his own hours. And he, he said he wanted that. So uh, something to think about, 
because, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, jobs are, um, jobs are for single people. You know, um, you, you hear that because typically Jesse today in today's world, husbands and wives need to both work to make ends meet. Especially if you live in California. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks man. <laughs> Always no. sticking the knife in my back. No, 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 no. In, in other places, I mean, they, uh, yeah. that's why a lot of people like, for example, a, a friend of ours, Tim Gordon, you know, who's on yeah. the show. That's why he says, uh, you know, he ended up moving out of California. Now he's lives in Tennessee. He keeps his wife oh, at home. They got six kids and he, and he can do it. He can, you know, he can, uh, he can make the payment every month. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Because what happens is you go, the husband goes to work, um, you know, one way and the, the wife goes to work the other way and man, you're separated, you're divorced for eight to 10 hours a day. You come back for the last couple hours of the night and you know, a day in a day out doing that. And it, it makes it tough. And you hear people saying, well, Ruben, and I'll tell you something else, just realistically, just talking before Elliot comes on, just, you know, seriously, man to man talking. Here's one of the dangers also of, of having your wife working when she doesn't, let's say, let's say she, I know, I get it. Sometimes they have to, I get it. I'm, I totally get that. But, and you, you, you know, as well as I do, if your wife is pretty like yours and mine, and you know the type of people there are in a lot of these jobs. Okay, we've been around them. Hey, dude, they're dogs. Perros, yeah. And they're just constantly, you know, you're you're away from her for eight to ten hours, and they're constantly just flirting with them. And and, and so again, that is one of the date. Because Ruben, I've seen mm-hmm. good women. Won't mention any names. Good women of guys that we know. Mm-hmm. You know, they're stay at home moms, even homeschooling. And all of a sudden, they said, you know what? I think I want to go work, help you out, honey. I'm going to put the kids back in school. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, we could use the extra money. And uh, their their marriages just went kaput. They started having an affair. They, they, they're out of the house. They're getting hit on by all these men. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're seeing each other in divorce court. And, and, and these were once upon a time happy homeschooling families that were Christ-centered. But again... Again, just the uh, attraction of the world, just being around a bunch of men and just just that temptation is not good for every. I, I mean, some people are strong enough in the Lord where they can say, man, get away from me, get lost. Yeah. But not all people are that strong, Ruben, to be constantly being flirted with and tempted for eight, ten hours a day, year after year and not succumbing to the pressure. You've yeah. got to be strong in sacramental grace and strong in your prayer life. Right. And then when you're not hearing you know, uh, the nice things from your husband because he's gone off to work and working overtime and whatnot. And then you start to, you know, hearing these uh, compliments from someone else. And, you know, next, next thing you know, the, you're, and especially this age with social media, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of relationships that are fostered on, on like Facebook. And, uh, you know, I know a, a friend of ours who reconnected with an old boyfriend from high school and, and, <laughs> and left her husband, you know, Oh, uh, and you know she she found a uh, a reason. There's always you could you could think of a million excuses, you know, but uh, why you're doing it, and and it, and you have to you better explain that to our Lord because you know he established a marriage for eternity for uh, well you know not eternity but I mean in this world. Uh, you're, you're speaking like a Mormon right now, Ruben. Yeah, I know. I, I had to kill yeah. myself. We're not we're not married into uh, in heaven. Yeah, I, there is <laughs> there is no marriage in heaven. That's right. I caught myself though. See. Yeah, no, you did. You did. It was because uh, uh, my heresy antennas went up. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, we, Ruben, here's something else I didn't want to mention about what you just said. That's why it is important as men, you know, be romantic. Say nice things to your wife. Because, again, there's other people that may be saying nice things to her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, here he is. I see the man. Elliot Hulse, welcome to the welcome to the uh, Jesus 911, my friend. Can you hear this us? This is great. Thank you for having me on, my, on your show. I've really enjoyed watching you over the years, and it's a pleasure to be here. Hey, well, I'm here with my partner, Ruben. We worked together in the Sheriff's Department many years ago, and both of us have been wanting to get you on. Talk to us about how you, you know, as a motivational speaker and an entrepreneur, probably a man of the world. Uh, how did you make that U-turn and come back to the Catholic faith with so many options out there, you know, with with uh, the glamour of the TBN channel, with the uh, attraction of just secular humanism and Islam growing in the black community? How is it that you found your way back home, Elliot? Well, there's a grace that I, I was given at an early uh, time when I was a baby I was baptized I was baptized as, a, as an infant Amen. now I know why infant baptism is so important awesome. uh, when I was in my search I realized the things I was doing wasn't working and the call to repentance came upon my heart and I didn't know where to begin and I, I began to explore and ask God to guide me in this repentance and turning my my life around and Elliot and Elliot I hold the thought to Elliot, hold, hold that thought real quick we're going to a quick break we'll be right back with Elliot Hulse talking about his reconversion back to the Catholic faith motivational speaker stick around don't go anywhere we'll be right back now back to Jesus 911 if this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus 911, we are back. Uh, we have a special guest, Elliot Hulse. Elliot, uh, good to meet you. I've, I've been a fan of yours. Uh, watched some of your videos, and uh, you're a man's man, and you're, uh, you've got a movement uh, to get people, especially men, uh, back to becoming uh, the men they're called to be. And so I, I applaud you for that. And uh, you and I have something in common. I was a, a trainer back in my days before I was a, a, a cop and uh, worked in the health club business and did some personal training and amateur bodybuilder. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm enamored with uh, a lot of your, your feats of strength and, and things of that nature, but uh, especially your return back to the church. Amen. Elliot, you got a Thank special folk. You got a special focus on, on, on reaching out to men. Where, where was that born from? Because I know this. I mean, we know amongst the black community, there's a high uh, rate of fatherless homes. Uh, and, and we know that the message of the Catholic faith is a message of family and, and unification and love and, and, and relationship with God. What was it that has impelled you to reach out to men like you do and try to try to instill in them a life of virtue? Where did that come from? Well, the first thing I have to say is that I've been graced with a good father myself, a strong leader in the home, something that most young men my age didn't have. And I remember growing up being a little resentful of my dad because he was so strong and strict. And I would even kind of uh, want my friend's fathers who were sort of weaker 
and were able to push them around a little bit more and had less boundaries. So as I got older and I began to look at how our lives different, how the life of me who comes from a family with a strong father and the lives of my friends who grew up with weak or absent fathers sorted to take a, you know, there, there was a divergence. I began to realize that the young men that I mentored to are really suffering because of a lack of strong fathers in their homes. So I kind of was just sort of thrown in that place because they were asking me questions and I was available to answer them with that fatherly wisdom. Elliot, do you see that what you do as kind of an apostolic work? I mean, you know, using again, the, uh, the whole, you know, personal fitness and your motivational speaking, is there an element, would you say that this actually is part of a ministry kind of veiled in, in your business? I didn't know it was before my reversion, but now that I can look back, I could see what God was doing in my life and through me so I can take an active participation in it. So as things, as I'm moving forward and continuing in my work and allowing God to guide me, I realize more and more how, how important marriage and family and fatherhood are to the mission that, uh, that I'm on here. Hey, Elliot, uh, I had a question for you. I, in in uh, listening to your video on your your reversion back to the Catholic faith, um, you mentioned near the end of it that uh, you 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 found uh, the traditional Latin Mass and that really uh, you gravitate to that. I know that uh, you have a parish nearby and and uh, you, you have your kids going there, but but uh, comment on that because I. Both Jesse and I are. We attend the Latin Mass, and uh, I, I've been so, doing so for over 25 years. So, as from a paramilitary background, you know, I like the precision of the Latin Mass, and and so, what was your, uh, what drew you to that as well? Well, my first experience coming back to the church was reconciliation. I went and confessed the general general confession at my local church. I didn't know where else to go. Right. Uh, it's a Novo Ordos church. And I, re I did fall in love with the Novo Ordos uh, mass. It's the one I grew up with in the 1980s. So I really didn't know anything different. Mm -hmm. And it was reverent. It was pious. I appreciated it. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I started watching you guys. I started watching uh, Jesus 911. I started hearing about uh, Father Ripperger. I really got catechized through YouTube. And it was through watching all of the YouTube videos, uh, you know, and yeah. Census Fidelium yeah. and Jesus 911, uh, that I learned about the, the traditional mass. And I went and I attended one that was nearby and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the, the, the reverence. I enjoyed the sounds, the symbols, the, um, there was just so much, the, the, the ritual so much richer. Mm. We moved since then, and now I live in uh, Lake County. That was over there by Tampa Bay. Uh, and I just found a, a, a Novo Ordos Mass, but with a lot of reverence. They, they do a lot of traditional things, but everything's in English. Mm -hmm. So I seem to have found a nice in-between. Hmm. Okay. Elliot, uh, what... What would you say is your main focus in your business? What's your, I mean, everybody has obviously, you know, the end game. What is your end game? Is your, is your target customer uh, the American male? And, and, and what is it that you're trying to impart on them? Yes, it is men and making men strong again. And I see that to that end, 
it's about marriage and family. Uh, you know, we're suffering as men because we don't have fathers. We don't have strong fathers because we have weak families. We have weak families as a result of feminism and the breakdown of the family and mm. abortion and contraception and all these various things that we sort of take for granted. We began to see how the men have really fallen into the snare of chasing women and promiscuity. Uh, and that's what's leading to bad relationships between men and women, but obviously uh, bad parents that don't raise strong men that perpetuate the issue that we're dealing with. Hmm. Hey, Elliot, uh, I, I know you're married with, uh, I believe, what, four, four daughters? Is that, uh, you have, yeah. Uh, three daughters and a son. Oh, okay. Three daughters and a son. Yeah. So uh, um, how was, uh, how was your wife, uh, did she, she just, she follow you to the, the Catholic church or did, was there some pushback at all did, um, from her side or, or, or how did that go? When you say, Hey, honey, I'm, I'm, well, there's so many graces that followed us. It's incredible. As a, as a 20 year old into my thirties, I was a seeker. So I had been a part of a few different, uh, Christian denominations. I even, uh, became a part of a Baha'i church. I was into the new age. I was basically into everything except the gift of Catholicism that was given to me during the baptismal uh, sacrament. So I was everywhere except there. She followed me from end to end. Uh, in fact, she went, when we were in college, she knew that I was baptized and confirmed Catholic. She went and got baptized and confirmed. Then later on, when I was exploring other faiths, she just went with me. When I came full circle and realized or remembered that I'm Catholic, Catholic and that she's Catholic too, it, did, it wasn't very difficult to point that out and for her to acknowledge the fact. Yeah. I, I like the fact that you're, you're not just um, accepting, you know, the faith as it was given to you, but you, you're going and you're studying. And it's so important that, you know, we continue to grow in our faith and, and most studies show that most uh, kids after their confirmation, you know, some huge percentage, like 80% never even, study the Catholic faith. And that's why so many, um, in their adulthood have walked away from the faith. So, uh, I, you know, kudos to you that you're, you're, you're delving into it because, uh, and what you mentioned in your story, um, is that, uh, it was those, the early church fathers that really drew you back to the original, the original faith. And so, uh, can you comment on that? Um, because so many people don't even take advantage of the early church fathers. Uh, talk to us about that. Right. Well, so when I was dabbling with the new age, I had come across the idea of spiritual fasting, right? And so, you know, Buddha fast and the Hindus fast. And so, you know, that's what the new age was doing. So I decided to do that. And I did it for a few years, but something, something was growing in my heart where I wanted to approach it from a Western perspective, not necessarily a Christian perspective, but Western. I wanted to know where the fasting tradition in the West began. And that's what brought me to learning about asceticism and the early church fathers, the desert fathers, these men who dedicated their lives to worship through asceticism and fasting. And it was during that season in my life that I began practicing fasting through it, spiritual fasting. And that allowed my heart to be open to God's prompting of reversion. Elliot, I got to ask you this question. Uh, has the Black Lives Matter movement, has it been a boon to the black community or has it been a detriment to the black community? Well, it is what feminism is to the female community. It's a Marxist ploy, a 
plot to destroy. And it's a subversion of the mind and heart. And we've been prepared for it. Uh, and people will just eat it up, gobble it up as quickly as it's served. Um, but obviously it is, uh, it's wrong and inefficient. It, it, it doesn't line up with uh, true uh, virtue and um, justice. So, and then what we have to really do is look at where it comes from. And I've watched enough of you guys speaking about communism and I've heard Dr. Uh, I mean, uh, Chad Ripperger talking about it. And I understand that Black Lives Matter is nothing but a brainchild of the, the, the Marxist indoctrination uh, that is ultimately leading to communism. So, um, you know, that the fact that uh, you, you're a patriot, uh, you, you know, you shy away from those, uh, those things that, uh, that this, where this particular administration is moving us towards and not shy away, but I should say you, you push back on them. And I, oh, yeah. I think that's, that's important. So have you lost, do you believe because Catholicism can be controversial, you know, our Lord even told us that that would be a, a sign of contradiction. Have you lost viewerships because of, of your reversion back to the faith? Is there anything that you know of? Yeah, uh, I have. And I just think of it as a pruning process, right? Mm. Uh, when a tree is first growing, you know, you've got all these different wild branches and stuff. It's okay. It's great. It's growing quickly. That's how it happened for me on YouTube. I grew very quickly, blew up over the course of just a few years to over a million subscribers. But then I realized at this point, not everybody's supposed to be there and that's okay. So just like a good uh, gardener, the, that plant needs to be pruned. And there's some people that just need to be cut off. And I'm okay with that. I'd say I may have about a 10th of the following 10% of what I had when I wasn't speaking out this way. But I'm satisfied with that, because I know that the quality of those people are there, they're with the right hearts, and they're open to Christ, as well as being strong patriots, uh, uh, and patriarchs in their own family. Elliot, one quick message, 30 seconds to Catholic men out there. What would you say to Catholic men uh, from your heart to their heart? I think that worship is the foundation of our lives. We can get so caught up in doing as men. There are so many things we want to do and we can do better. We can fix, right? We're fixers. But what I'm starting to discover is that through through worship, through having an altar, through praying the rosary, we make most effectual change. Amen. Elliot Hulse, keep up the good work, my friend. We'll have you back on Jesus 91. We'll have to do this again. That's a wrap. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. Ruben Nam and myself, we are EOW, end of watch. We're out. God bless you. God bless. Nice being you, Elliot. God bless.